Thank you very much, Rabbi Landsman, for that wonderful introduction. Thank you very much for having me here this morning, this glorious morning at the beginning of the school year. I'd like to, before I begin, acknowledge Rabbi Ruar, my Talmud, uh, who is a, uh, an amazing, exceptional human being, uh, probably my favorite Talmud over 20 years in Lander College. And I'm not... And uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing uh, privilege to have such a Talmud and that that Talmud called me and asked me to speak this morning to you. Uh, it, it fills my heart with nachas. It's a tremendous chus, a privilege to address this august body of mechanchem, of educators, administrators, faculty members, uh, people that are so involved with the next generation, shaping, molding, inspiring. And for me to be able to have the privilege to come here this morning and hopefully inspire you just a bit uh, is really a a great, great honor. And, um, you know, when I walked in here this morning and I had to, you know, go through like an airport security check to get in here... uh, I was struck by the smell of the building. Sounds funny, but the, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I went to Hebrew Academy of Long Beach for elementary school, and we used to play basketball uh, you know, in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. We had these, uh, these inter-school uh, games, and uh, I remember very vividly coming into this building as a child and uh, Baruch Hashem that it's still here and it's uh, not just is it here, but it's, uh, it has such a, a real amazing reputation in the world of education uh, as being such a leader in its field. And so you, the principal, and every single member in this room of the faculty and administration and, and teachers it's because of you. This is your legacy. And the smell of the building, that paint, that fresh paint on the first day of school, really, you know, sort of just transported me back in time and reminded me of the wonderful days of childhood and uh, the first day of school when you come in with your new loose leaf and your new uh, lunchbox and your new backpack and your new sharpened pencils and the world is your oyster. You could do anything that you want. And... And it's such an amazing thing to work in a school like this that you have that ability every single day to interact with the next generation, with the future of the Jewish people. I want to ask a single question, if I may. And this is going to be the topic of my talk. Why did we choose this field? Why did we choose this field? Now, for some of you, that might be a rhetorical question. The answer would be obvious, and I'm sure you'd be immediately able to spit out a dozen different reasons, and they're all great reasons. But for many of you, it might be a question that we ask ourselves, not rhetorically, but we ask ourselves sometimes, like, realistically, like, why did you choose this field? We know why we did not choose this field, We certainly did not choose the field because we thought that we would uh, be making a million dollars. There are far more lucrative fields and professions to 
to have decided to go into when we were making the decision about what to do with our lives. It's not even about the covet, it's not about the honor. Maybe teachers back in the olden days did get a certain uh, amount of honor from the students today. I don't know if that's the case. I'm not sure if that's the case. I remember when I visited Halb after I had graduated from high school, so it was a good seven, eight years later, and I visited many of the teachers that I had in third, fourth grade were still there, much older. And I remember that my class was like a group of terrorists, and uh, you know we weren't proud of it, but that's just what we were. And, and I went back to Mrs. Saltzman, who was my third grade teacher, and I loved her. And I, uh, and I asked her, are the kids the same as they used to be? Like, I, I felt bad for her. She said, Moshe, you have no idea. You guys were tzaddikim. You were like the most righteous of people. Like, compare every generation. Every year it gets worse and worse. And that was going back probably 20 years. So I don't know what it's like today, but I can't imagine that there is that much honor that you get, at least in the classroom, from being a teacher, from being an educator, from being a faculty member. And I think that the answer is quite obvious and it's something that we have to review and remind ourselves, and I suppose that's part of my mission here today, that we have to remind ourselves that the reason why we're here and the reason why we've chosen this field is simply because we, through being teachers and educators, have the unique ability that does not exist practically in any other field that you could have chosen, that we could affect change in the world. We could make the world a better place. We could inspire. We could influence. We could impact children. And by doing so, their entire trajectories will be changed because of you. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're creating ripple effects. Now these children will be healthy adults, and they'll be married, and they'll have families of their own, and their families will themselves be wonderful people. And you have no idea of the ability that we have to really change so much of the universe in our classrooms. There's a story about a teacher uh, who was in Chicago, and she decided that she wanted to be a public school teacher. She just had her new master's degree, and she applied for a job in one of the inner city schools, and she got the job She enters the classroom, and these children were from the roughest of backgrounds, and you saw that they were clearly uninterested in learning and accepting and receiving. This was not why she signed up, and she was very frustrated, to say the least. The children were talking during class, and they were screaming during class, and they were joking, and they were and they were just not giving her anything that she thought that she'd be able to to be giving. And she went a few days later into the principal's office and she was about to hand in her letter of resignation. The principal, at the beginning of the conversation, before she got anything out, all of a sudden had an important phone call. He had to go into another room. And he went into another room for a few minutes and she was sort of just like bored. So she got up and she started walking around the office And she notices that on the principal's desk was a roll book, and it had open to the page of her particular class. And she looks in this roll book at all her her students' names, and one by one, one had um, 
153, 167, 183, 149, like very, very high numbers, and she automatically assumed that these were their IQ numbers, they were tested, and these were very bright children. These were very gifted children, they're brilliant. And she decided that the reason why these children were just the way they were was because of their upbringing, because of their backgrounds, because of the homes that they came from. They were never given the chances that other children may have been given. And she was determined that she was going to change their lives one child at a time. And no matter how they seem on the surface to her, she's going to dig deeper and dive deeper and make sure to get into everyone's neshama, everyone's soul, and really try to have an amazing year with them. The principal came back in and he says, yes, uh, what was this meeting about? What do you want to talk about? She says, never mind. We'll talk about it some other time. She came back into the classroom inspired with the potential that lay before her and she started taking these children on weekends to the museum. She took them to the, uh, to the Philharmonic Orchestra. She took them to the ballet. She took them to the opera. She took them on, uh, on, on trips to, uh, you know, to museums. And she really was beginning to see change. These children were changing because she was giving them the time and the love and the patience that they never really had. And before you know it, the F's turned into D's and the D's turned into C's. The C's turned into, into B's. The B's turned into A minuses. Eventually, these kids were like thriving. They weren't just surviving. And by the end of the year, she literally turned an entire class around. And these children were the, the, it went from being like the worst class in the school of a bad school to the greatest class ever. And at the end of the school year, they had an award ceremony. And they, it was not a, it was hands down. They knew who their MVP was. It was this teacher. She was the one that changed the world in that school. And they presented her with an award, teacher of the year. And everybody stood up for her and clapped. And, and she got her chance to address the entire teacher body. And she said, I'll tell you how I did it. You probably want to know what my secret sauce is. I'll tell you what it is. And she described how she went into the principal's office the first day or the, the third day of school. She was about to retire, about to resign. And she saw in the roll book these high numbers, and she knew that these kids had such great potential, and she wanted to, to, to actualize that potential, and she did it. And they stood up, they applauded her again, she sat down, the principal gets up, and the principal says, uh, that's a wonderful speech you made, you shouldn't have looked in my role book, by the way, have an issue with that, we'll talk about that later, but I want you to know something, you made a mistake. Those numbers in my roll book were not their IQ scores. Those numbers were their locker numbers. Those are the locker numbers that I assigned to those students. And the point of this story, and it's a true story, by the way, is that if we see children as having unlimited potential, we could bring that potential to the surface. We could actualize that potential. We can make that potential into a reality. The problem is that very often we come into the classroom and we already have a preconceived notion about children or about these particular children. I don't know what the policy, by the way, of this school is. And I understand that every school has its own policy. But I think one of the greatest mistakes that many schools make 
is that teachers talk to the previous year's teachers about, you know, tell me, give me like a little bit of a, the lowdown of what the children is. So they take their, you know, their list. They say, oh, this kid's a terrorist. And this kid is, uh, you know, comes from a bad family. And this kid is chutzpahdik. And this kid, I never had it one happy day with it. You know, and this kid's good kid. This kid's bad kid. And that is the worst crime, I think, that a teacher of a new year could do. Because what you're basically doing is you're already coming into the classroom with this dark lens of bad. You want to come into a classroom and see every child as pure light, as pure sunshine, as pure potential, without thinking about anything. Maybe last year they had a bad year. Maybe they didn't hit it off with that teacher or that Rebbe. But that doesn't mean that this year it's a fresh year. It's a new start. We believe in that. That's what our whole religion is based on. This is the month of Elul. It's the month of repentance. We're starting a new year. You know, the next coming year in Rosh Hashanah, we start, we get a fresh slate and we start clean. We don't want God looking at us differently because last year we did X, Y, and Z. So we should give our children in our classrooms that same optimism, that same potential, that same hope, those dreams. And when we do that, we could literally change their lives. Don't look at them as being anything but perfect. Obviously, as the year goes on, we will get a dose of reality, and then we'll have to readjust, and we'll have to... But never lose sight of the dream that every child is a world, every child is a universe, and we can make that world such a beautiful place. I want to just add to that a personal story that I think ties in very nicely with that story of that woman, that teacher in Chicago. When I first came to Lander College in my early years of, it was like, I came in the third year of the school's existence. Um, it was about 20 years ago. So I started when I started being a mashkich when I was five years old. And, um, and what happened was that one of the first years, there was a new student that came around this time of year and he was a very sweet boy, and he was, uh, you know, just full of optimism, just such a, a friendly, smiley, good kid. But his background in terms of his Limudah Kurdish, in terms of his Judaic studies, the Talmud, the Mishnah, Chumash, was very, very limited, very, extremely limited. He did not grow up religious. He went to uh, Israel, where he, uh, he went to a certain yeshiva that taught him certain basics, but when he came to Lander College for Men, and Lander College has very advanced uh, classes for the most part, you know, very big rabbis and very big scholars, um, plus a a very good uh, college program as well, all in the same building, but he really wasn't prepared for what he was about to get himself into. Uh, He didn't know how to read the Gemara, he didn't know which side of the page Rashi was on, that's one commentary, and which side of the page Tosis was on, another commentary, and he basically was a very, very novice beginner, and, but yet he was amazing. He came to everything. Every class that I gave from morning to night, he was front and center. He came on time to davening, to prayers. He came on time in, in the morning for that Seder, and then at night Seder. Everything that he could possibly do, he was lapping up. And day by day, I saw his growth. His growth was phenomenal. A few years later, you know, he went from class to class, and uh, higher and higher, he got married. He went off to Israel, 
where he learned in a kollel, and that was pretty much the last I heard from him. I didn't really stay in touch. I think once I went to recruit in Israel and I bumped into him, but I really lost touch with him. I went up to his wedding when he got married in, in Canada, and, uh, but for the most part, I didn't, uh, I didn't really hear from him. I didn't know where, when he left, he was very, very good, but I don't know where he went. A few years ago, I got in the mail a manila envelope with a book in it, like a big Hebrew book, and actually this is the Hebrew book. And it was addressed on the return side of the, uh, of the envelope from him. He wasn't using his English name anymore, now he's using his Hebrew name, uh, first name, but he, uh, you know, and he, and I was like, wow, it's such a nice book, it's so thoughtful, you know, that he would write, and he wrote, he, he inscribed it to me in Hebrew, and he wrote such, I said, wow, his Hebrew really got good. You know, he's able to write such a proficient, you know, level of, of Hebrew, and it's so sweet, and he expresses his, his hakar satov, his appreciation for all that I did for him in his formative years. I said, but it's such a strange thing to send me this book. It's not like a, you know, like a regular chumash. It's not a regular, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very high-level safer, high-level book on on kashras about what you can eat, what you can eat, and all of the many rabbis, all the opinions, like a, a million opinions. He ha- there is, uh, you know, letters of approbation from the greatest rabbis in Jerusalem, household names. And then I look at the title page, and I see that this boy himself, my student, was the author of this book, which means that within a short span of time, not more than 10, 11 years, there was a boy that did not know an Allah from a Bayes practically, and now he goes to writing the highest level of scholarship in, in the Jewish people. It's a, it's a very, very impressive work. And I'm thinking to myself, look at what you were able to do. I'm not taking full credit for it, but who knows? Maybe because I spent so much time with him and I gave him so much attention and so much love and I invested in him when very few people thought that there was much to invest in. Because of that, he had the ability, he had the confidence, he had the, the fortitude to continue and to really give of himself to the nth degree until he became such a, an amazing Torah scholar. And this is how we have to look at every child, at every student, that these are not just children. And I know that children could sometimes be very unruly, and I know that children can sometimes be very disrespectful. And I know that we don't like that whatsoever. I really don't like that. Um, but at the end of the day, these are our responsibilities. These are, this is our privilege to be able to, to give them what they need. Each and every student, one student might need an extra smile, an extra comment, an extra smiley face on top of the test, even when the test did not come back as well as it was. I always tell my kids, I don't, my own children, I don't want you bringing home 100. You're not allowed in the house that night. If you bring home 100, I don't want you back in the house. Why? Because I don't want them to feel that pressure. I want them to feel happy with their accomplishment. If a child gets a 75, that's not a terrible thing. Who says that a 75 is such a bad thing? If I was a stockbroker and I got 75% of my stocks right, I'd be Warren Buffett. 75% of knowledge is terrible? That's not bad. But we're so trained that our kids have to get 90s. They have to get 95s. They have to get 100s. And if not, it's off with the head. Like, where did that come from? Do children honestly need that pressure? 
Children, when they're in, at least in their formative years, they need a lot of love. They need happiness. They need to know that their teachers believe in them and that they could do anything that they want. If you give them those ingredients, you're planting seeds, and those seeds will grow beyond our wildest expectations. You know, I just read on the cover of this faculty handbook something that really, I guess it steals my thunder, but I want to just end with it. It's such a beautiful quote. A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, what sort of house I lived in, or what kind of car I drove. But the world will be different because I was important in the life of a child. And that's really sums up everything that I've come here to share with you. Obviously, what I'm telling you is something that you don't need me to tell you. You know it yourself. But sometimes it's always important to review and to be reminded, why did I choose this field? You chose this field because through you, the world will be a better place. There's nothing else. You could be the president of the United States, but it will not really touch the individual souls of children and a future like each and every one of you have that ability every time you come in in the morning to the classroom with a smile and with enthusiasm, with optimism, with a love and a passion for what you do, you will literally change the future of every single child. And I want to bless you and give you my wishes for a wonderful school year. Maximize your potential so that the children's potential will themselves be maximized. Thank you so, so much.